What's up, buds? Japers Drink Radio. I'm your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to be joined by both Greg Young and Corey Snyder. How you doing, Corey? Doing well. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, it's always great to have you, especially here with the playoffs coming up, and this is kind of our uh, first round preview. So h- how are you doing, Greg? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, uh, it's been uh, I'm currently moving, as anyone who's talked to me is realizing, and uh, it's a little hectic, but I'm excited for the playoffs to start tomorrow and uh, to be to be in D.C. while it's going on. Yeah, uh, move-in is always stressful for sure, especially with the uh, size of your move. Yes, <laughs> moving moving across the uh, across the globe a little bit. It's gonna it's gonna it's an adventure, but it's gonna be fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Corey, I'm glad you ha- to have you on. I mean, the Capitals, according to, to Dom's model, uh, Dom from the Athletic, is uh, they only have a 35.8% chance to beat the Boston Bruins in this upcoming series. Uh, I know you have the Bruins up there as a contender, and the Capitals is a bit of a pretender. Um, so, so Corey, w- what do you got for me? Like, what stands out to you at first when you just look at the series? Yeah, it just seems like a really bad matchup against Boston in particular. Like, I think the Caps are a pretty good team. I've liked the way they've played so far, at least for the most part. But Boston, ever since they got Taylor Hall and Mike Riley at the trade deadline, has just been a machine. And I I don't know. I'm just struggling to see how Washington is going to match up with them in the playoffs, especially against the Bergeron line with how well they did against them in the regular season. And that, Washington just has a lot of just – weird question marks in their lineup like Kuznetsov and Samsonov are in, are in COVID protocol right now. I don't, and from what I understand, nobody really knows when they're going to be back. So there's just too many moving parts there for me to have like a lot of confidence in them. But I, I give them more than a 60, 30% chance of pulling off an upset, but still, I, I just think uh, like, I, I just think it's a bad matchup for them. Yeah, I've got to agree. I mean, the Bruins have just been uh, dominant, especially since Taylor Hall came in. And the Capitals are dealing with some uh, lingering injuries to key players. TJ Oshie, uh, John Carlson, Alex Ovechkin, and then Evgeny Kuznetsov has now been in COVID protocol for uh, 11 days. Um, For the second time this season, he's been in the COVID protocol. So uh, pretty significant outages for Washington. And if those guys aren't at full strength, it's hard to see them going forward. Greg, I mean, what are you uh, kind of looking at and what, what are you most optimistic about? And then also, I guess, uh, what are you most worried about? Well, I mean, I'm worried about Kuznetsov and I'm worried about it for a very specific reason, which is obviously we talked about this ever since Taylor Hall has gotten to Boston. They basically have two elite lines, right, that you need to, like, think about how you're going to defend every single time on the ice. And a lot of playoffs, frankly, is coaching, figuring out matchups and everything like that. And I just don't know how the Caps are going to match up to those two lines if Kuznetsov's not in the lineup. I mean, 
Are they going to, like, I mean, Backstrom hasn't been great defensively this year. He's been okay, but I, I'm worried, obviously, about any matchup with Backstrom against the perfection line or even the second line. And, I mean, what are they going to do? Play Lars Eller, like, 25 minutes a night or something? Like, I mean, Eller's been good this year, and, you know, he's he's a very good defensive player, particularly with Connor Sherry, and you would think they're going to see a lot of minutes. But you just, without Kuznetsov, you're kind of wondering, like, how does— it seems like there's there's a block missing in the Jenga tower and it could really come kind of come crashing down. So that's where I'm concerned. Um, I think where I'm a little maybe optimistic, I would say, is obviously losing Kuznetsov is hard, but the Caps are at least going to get, it looks like, almost all of their players back. Uh, and they've had a few days off, which I think particularly given how many lower body injuries a team with a lot of 30 plus year old players had is a real relief. I think that that's going to be important going forward, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to hard to look at this right now and see a super clear path to the caps. Uh, at least, I, I mean, like maybe you could squint and say, okay, like I could see them winning in six or seven, but like, I don't, I don't really see a super easy path for them. No, definitely not. I mean, it, the capitals don't do not have a, a clear path to victory. Um, I mean, it's going to be tough. I mean, one of the interesting things that, that Dom talks about in his article is about how the Capitals really, since the trade deadline, have no longer been uh, outperforming their expected goals like they were before. Um, you know, how much is that? Is is losing a guy like Jacob Rana? Is Anthony Mantha more of a uh, traditional uh, kind of player? And I think, Corey, you might have some insight for that. I mean, what does Anthony Mantha bring to the Capitals versus a guy like Jacob Rana? And have you seen any other trends in the Capitals play that, that makes you think, hey, they're not really you know, scoring more goals than expected, but they're not making something out of nothing? Yeah, that was a weird trade to me because you had two guys that have very similar results statistically, but they just kind of go about it in different ways. It's like... Uh, Verona's a very Verona's very good in transition, and like so is Anthony Mantha. But Mantha fits in more as like your F one on the forecheck. He's gonna get in, dig out loose pucks, which might fit more with how Laviolette wants to play. Whereas Verona is kind of gonna freelance. He might give you more in the long term. But I just wonder if they looked at that trade and said Mantha might be a guy who will help us more in the playoff series. And I don't I don't necessarily buy that, especially against Boston because. Uh, one of the strengths of the Caps play this year is they've been very good about kind of shutting things down in the neutral zone. They're very aggressive with how they block off their own blue line, which turns a lot of games into kind of 2-1, 3-2 coin flip fests. But the problem is Boston, that's basically what they do too. And you kind of you kind of just play to the other team's advantage there, which might give them some which might give them some issues. And Washington has been a team that's kind of been coasting on their goal scoring all season. And Mantha, what I mean, Mantha is a, is a guy who can do that too. It's just that Verona's going to kind of break the system a little more, if you know what I'm saying, like Kuznetsov did in uh, 2000, 2018. I think, it, I think that was the right year. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what time it is anymore, but yeah, but uh, I don't know. Verona just seems like a guy who can break like structure and kind of just go off on his own a lot more than than Mantha could, at least with how I've seen in Washington so far. Because like in Detroit, Mantha was a guy who played kind of similar to Verona. Like he's a lot bigger than Verona, but he he's pretty fast and can kind of make something out of nothing. But like with Washington, he's been more of like your traditional 
your traditional F1 on the forward check just from how they're playing. So I I don't know if the payoff is going to be like worth it in the long term, other than the contract certainty that Mantha gives you. Like his stats are probably going to look the same to Rana's, but I just wonder if the overall impact is going to be a little less, and if it's going to be enough to get him through Boston. But that was I I actually wrote a little about this for McKean's hockey because like I feel like one of the reasons they got Anthony Mantha was for a series like this and looking at it a little more closely it's like yeah I can see what they're going for I just don't know if it'll work. Yeah, Corey, can I ask you a question not to not to butt in here a little but one of the things that I I had heard about Mantha going in is that yes he's 6-5 and yes he's really big but he doesn't quite play as big as you would think and so I'm almost wondering if the Caps say, okay, like be your 6'5 and you're big, go be the F1 four check kind of guy. Do we think that that's a role that's actually like sit really suited for the way he plays hockey? Honestly, no, like I remember hearing Ray Ferraro talk about him and he said he's like, he's built like a power forward, but he plays like a point guard. Yes. And that, I mean, I didn't, I didn't watch a lot of Detroit the last two years, but at least, like, when he was still coming up in their system, that's exactly how he played, and it really fit to his system. He's got great hands. He's a really underrated passer, and he was kind of – he kind of had to do a lot of freelancing in Detroit just because of the talent that was around him. But, yeah, I just – I do wonder if you get more out of him if you kind of just let him roam – if you let him just do what he's good at instead of kind of forcing him to play more of, like, a Tom Wilson type – like as the guy who's just going to retrieve loose pucks and kind of set things up from the from the corner, but uh, looking at like if you look at some of the charts I make with how which basically looks at like how teams create offense, like who's pat who's creating the most passes, who's setting up most of the shots. The Capitals like on every single line they kind of have like a designated passer and a designated shooter, and Mantha's been more of a passer. Like, at least early on, which is a little surprising to me because he's known as, like, a goal scorer. So that's kind of been a little weird trend early on. But it's only been, what, a handful of games. So we'll see if that kind of corrects itself over time. Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting, too, that he's playing with Backstrom, right? You know, who's, like, kind of the quote-unquote designated passer all the time. And so, yeah, it's like, I mean, I, I, I kind of I, – I wonder if the Caps – to kind of uh, – put an overall bow in what you're saying. I, I almost wonder, Adam, if they're kind of like still figuring out how to use their new toy in a little bit of a way, you know? Yeah. And like, this is sort of how, this is sort of how it was for Laviolette in uh, Nashville too. Like if you look at the Jofa line, like Ryan Johansson was the big body presence who was going to win pucks and look for Forsberg or, or Arvidsson, like in the slot or something. And that's kind of just how all their lines worked. And that's kind of the same dynamic Washington has right now with their new, especially with uh, their new players. Yeah. Mantha and Raffle have both been guys that have put up pretty strong underlying numbers in their time in Washington. Um, But I mean, Mantha obviously started very hot out of the gate, had a lot of points, but really cooled off in terms of point production. And Raffle of course only has the one goal, which was the game winning goal with two seconds left and, uh, the final regular season game against the Providence Bruins. Um, so, I, I mean, all, all in all, it's uh, it's going to be interesting for Washington. I mean, at some point you have to convert underlying numbers to goals, and, and, and that's something that 
uh, you know, Corey, being a big fan of the Carolina Hurricanes, you're all too familiar with over the years. Um, the underlying numbers can only get you so far. Um, when, when we look at the Bruins uh, and want to talk about underlying numbers that, that do lead to success, to success, I mean, their top line has been dominant all year and, and really for the greater part of a handful of seasons now. Um, when you look at that top line of Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak, I mean, who's, who's the engine that, that keeps that line going? Um, I'm sure it's kind of shifted a bit over the years with Bergeron getting up there in age. Yeah, Bergeron is like the more passive player on that line. Like he's going to hang back in the neutral zone and kind of hit Pasternak. Pas- hit Pasternak with a lot of speed or Marchand. Like Marchand used to be the puck hog on that line, but now it's more Pasternak. But Bergeron's been really good this year about just getting open and getting like those point blank chances while Marchand and Pasternak kind of work below the goal line or along the wall. And they just start. I don't know. They can kind of just beat you anyway. Like they're two of the best, like they're three of the best players in the league when it comes to creating chances, both off four checks and off the rush. So there's kind of not really like a right or wrong way to defend them. You kind of just have to hope you survive or fight that matchup to a draw. Because one thing about the Bruins is like, even with Hall in the fold now, there's still a gap between their top six and their third and fourth line. Like Charlie Coyle's had a really tough year. And he's been one of those guys that's creating a lot of shots, but all of them are kind of from the outside and they don't really, they don't really lead to much or help you at all unless you're building a lead. So there is something the Capitals can definitely exploit there, but it's just a matter of surviving the top six and who they match up against them. Yeah. I mean, the Capitals top six does not match up super well against the Bruins, obviously, but one place where they do seem to have an advantage is in the bottom six. Uh, Greg, uh, what do you think about the Capitals off uh, forward depth? And, and, you know, they might have to carry the load here if, if Kuznetsov is not ready to go. Well, and that's the problem that I see, right? Is like you say, okay, the, the Caps, like, at best case, they're going to lose to the, the, or the, you know, the, the Caps top six isn't as good as the, as the Bruins top six. But, okay, like maybe you hope that they can kind of mitigate that matchup either by playing Eller a lot against them or something like that. But the problem is that without Kuznetsov in there, you put Eller in the second the second center spot, and who's your third center? And, like, do we want that line, you know, of kind of uh, potentially a taxi squad call-up or anything like that to be, you know, uh, to really be playing a lot of minutes or anything like that? And... On top of that, that's the that's the matchup the Caps need to win. So that's the tricky part. I, I know that, like, I, I think Connor Sherry obviously has had a very, very good year. I think the Caps are going to have no choice but to play Daniel Sprong at this point, who I think has been a little inconsistent, but he could score goals, and that's something the Caps desperately, I think, are going to need in this series. So, I, you know, like, I and who knows about the fourth line? It seems like they kind of— They've been together through hell or high water, although I'm still not totally sure what I think about that line, if I'm being honest. So I, you know, the the, the tricky part is that this is a matchup the Caps need to win because I think the Caps have a little bit more depth. But without Eller centering the third line, that's still, that's like, it's tough to figure out how the Caps are going to win that by enough to potentially mitigate the advantage that Boston has with their top six. Yeah, uh, it... Sorry to sound dour, but like I, I mean, I picked Boston in five. I don't think this is a good matchup for the Caps. Yeah, and, and no discussion about goaltending is going to make um, any of us or our listeners feel any different. Um, you know, Corey, when, when you watch the Bruins play, 
Is there anything that you've seen teams do that makes them look vulnerable? Yeah, early in the se- well, early in the season before the trade deadline, Pittsburgh really got to them just with their speed and working just working the puck behind the goal line just cuz that defense was really bad for like the first few months of the season. They didn't really have a consistent partner for McAvoy. Grizzly was hurt. And it's I still don't really like their defense that much. Like if you get them if you got if you get guys like like Zaboral or Connor Clifton, like in a one on one matchup, you can definitely get around them and get a quick strike goal or a scoring chance to just establish a little bit of an advantage on the margins. It's just the problem is that McAvoy is gonna play like twenty five minutes and he usually dominates all of them. <laughs> and uh although with Although the weird thing with the Capitals is that I was looking into just how they kind of deploy their forwards and Lavi doesn't really, he doesn't really play the matchup game. He deploys it more by the score. Like Eller plays a lot when they're, Eller and Dowd played a lot when they're, when they're winning. So I do wonder what that, what that's going to look like and whether or not that's going to be like an advantage for them just as far as like, just as far as like going power versus power against the Bergeron line but I don't even know if they have the horses to kind of do that. But really the the one thing that the one area where Boston is susceptible is they do kind of give up their blue line a little bit. They're very good about limiting chances, but they will let you in the zone and kind of keep you to the outside. And one thing that Washington does really well is they're good about like they're good at setting up really long, like deliberate possessions and just sequences in the offensive zone. And Sometimes, like, they're frustrating as hell to watch if they're trailing, but, like, in a tie game or where they're winning, like, sometimes that sometimes that helps, you know? Just because they're very good about not allowing rushes going the other way and kind of keeping the play in front of them. So that was one thing that I, that was one thing that I, like, kind of noticed with them this year is just how, just how long they kind of maintain possession in the offensive zone, especially with especially the Eller line. Like it kind of, that might work into their favor, but really it's just a matter of what the score is and who's out there. Yeah. The Capitals definitely play a slower deliberate game now. And, and unfortunately, based upon what you said has been effective against the Bruins that, that highlights what Greg said about not being a great matchup. Um, I mean, the Capitals traded probably their fastest player or their fastest player. That's also a potent offensive weapon when they traded Jacob Rana. Um, I mean, Haglin's probably the fastest guy on the team now, and he's, you know, you give that guy 10 breakaways if he scores one. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, that's... Like, I like that he was so desperate on a breakaway one time. He's just like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to shoot a slap shot. And, like, you know, it didn't score, of course, but like, at least he didn't get cheated. Yeah, that's that's kind of the problem I see, like, with, uh, like with uh, creating chances off the rush because, like, the most vulnerable defensemen on, on Boston are guys like... Connor Clifton, Jeremy Lazan, Stephen Camper, and like who's going to be out against those guys? It's going to be like Haglin or Dowd or somebody like that who's not really going to create a dangerous chance off the rush. But that's that. But yeah, that's kind of the where sort of the disadvantage is. Yeah, and the Capitals haven't looked particularly good when they played Boston, uh, in my opinion. I mean, it just. I don't know. It's definitely a tough matchup. I mean, it's it's, it's hockey. Anything can happen. Uh, the Caps can win, right? Um, but, you know, I definitely don't have them as the favorite, unfortunately. Um, 
I think they would have matched up significantly better against either the Islanders or the Penguins. And, um, you know, I guess they kind of have themselves to blame for throwing away that game against Philadelphia right near the end of the season. Oh, yeah, they Um, they absolutely would have. If they were playing the Islanders, I would have picked them in, like, five. (laughs) Yeah, the the Islanders have not been looking good recently. And uh, But then again, I mean, again, the the Capitals' goaltending is such a – kind of tire fire right now you're almost guaranteed to give up at least one bad goal a game um, whether that's samsonov or vtech vanacek um greg before we go to break and talk about a bit of another other series uh i know you've already given your prediction so um i, I want you greg to force yourself to give one positive about this series from a washington perspective oh boy all right well um i i will say from a specialties steam standpoint i know boston has a like a, a really good PK, but I think the Caps probably have an edge there. I mean, very quietly, their their penalty kill has been excellent this year, like uniformly. And I, you know, I, I think that if like I like if, if we could end up if we have a couple of games or there's a few power plays either way or something like that, that actually might kind of swing things a little bit more in the Caps' favor. I, you know, like I think that that's that's a legit advantage. And there is one other piece of optimism, which is that. One of the, so we have on on the site tomorrow we have an interview with uh one of uh, with uh, I think Peter Tanner is the guy's name he runs Money Puck and one of the things that he noted is that the goaltending advantage for Boston yes it's big but also like over a seven game series in a real standpoint it maybe doesn't need as much as people necessarily think and we also underestimate the chance that maybe Vitek Vanacek actually has three or four good games in a row which he could that's definitely on the table so. I think that as a hockey fan, it's easy for us to sit here and be pretty dour about the Capitals, but hockey is such a flukish, random sport sometimes, and it's not like the Caps are a bad team, and in fact, I think, Corey, you would agree with me, I think they're actually a pretty good team that might just not be in a great matchup, but the thing is, when you're a pretty good team, you're going to have your chances, and I think it's not like that all hope is lost, I just, like, you know, like I said, I just don't necessarily think this is the perfect matchup for them. Is that optimistic? I don't really know. I feel like it, it veered between optimistic and pessimistic, but uh, that's that's the best I can do. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you yeah. a seat. Um, All right, I'll take that. Yeah, Co- that – oh, my bad. No, it's okay. Co- Corey, what do, you, what, do you, what do you got? What do you got for me? Uh, do you have any anything to uh, make our fans that before they tune out <laughs> the rest of the podcast, if they haven't already, for our negative talk? Um do you have anything for them? Like, do you have a diamond in the rough? Corey, please give them a bone. Well, like the thing I wrestled with when writing my preview was that we're looking at a team that's been good for like 40 some games against the, like consistently good for 40 some games against a team that has been pretty bad for like 30 games and great for 20 games. And like, we're kind of Everybody's like kind of like consistently or consensusly going with the team, the hot team right now, which I mean is fair, especially when you look at the two teams on paper. But I mean, I mean Boston isn't like a totally flawless team right now. Like they're, I still don't really like their defense, and I don't know how fresh Rask is going to be. Although they've been pretty good about protecting their goalies, especially in the playoffs, just with how they kind of defend the slot. But I don't know. Special teams could could sway things a little bit because I have like Washington's penalty kill this year. It's pretty aggressive. They're very good about not letting teams get set up, especially Chara. So 
I mean, there are definitely things that can tip the scales in their favor. It really only takes like a game or two here and there to kind of throw a wrench into into like the higher seated team's plans. Adam, yeah. g- Adam, give us something optimistic. You're you're the host. Uh, take us to break with the with a note of optimism, please. Well, I mean, the capital. I, I, I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter today. Uh, all but one of ESPN's hockey staff. Uh, picked Washington to lose to Tampa Bay in the Eastern Conference Final in 2018. Um, and I think we all kind of remember how that series shook out. Um, it, it might be a bit of a similar situation. I mean, Tampa um, was a dominant team on paper. Um, I mean, really for for years, just as Boston is now. Um, and, you know, Washington was able to hold them off and delay them another two years and, and obviously eventually Tampa got there, but uh, the Bruins team, I mean, Washington can do it again. Uh, they can, they can keep the Bruins from going forward. There are a lot of people's favorites to, to make it all the way to the cup final or, or, you know, well, usually to lose to Colorado or Vegas in the end, but uh, to, to get out of the East or what would have been the East, which is, isn't that impressive considering the winner of this conference or this division rather has to play uh whatever garbage team comes out of the North. Well, I'm not, it's not even true. They recede, but that's just how I'm envisioning it in my head. Uh, so, you know, winner, winner take all caps, uh, then go out and do it. And I mean, hockey is a game of, uh, of, of luck and skill, but I mean, God, how many times did the better caps team lose a, lose a series? Right. So, um, they, they can do it. They just need to put together a few good wins, get, get, uh, Cassidy a little hot under the collar. Maybe he'll make some dumb coaching decisions and, uh, it's really just as Corey said, just just try to punch him in the face early, punch him in the teeth, and uh, get him off balance. That's the best way to win. Um, but since I'm hosting, now will be yes, a good time you to are. take a break. Greg, th- giving, throwing it off, giving me a question. Uh, when we come <laughs> back, we'll talk pretty briefly about our other uh, the, the other playoff matchups going around this year. Um, we'll be back. All right, welcome back from the break. Um, Greg wanted that break to go on forever, but thankfully we're back here. <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit about some of these other matchups. Uh, Corey, I, I guess let's do dealer's choice. Who do you want to talk about first? Well, since I'm like the resident central expert here, let's go with that division. All right. Let, let, let's, let's look at some of these matchups real fast here. You've got some big ones coming up. You've got Carolina. Uh, hold on. My, oh no, my sheet just crashed. Hold on. I want to make Carolina sure. Carolina and Nashville. Nashville. Yeah. You know, we were just talking about Nashville. I don't know why it crashed on me there. But besides the point here, uh, I guess we didn't really do dealer's choice. Uh, Carolina versus Nashville. Carolina comes in as the favorite. Um, A lot of people have them as, you know, just kind of a dark horse candidate to win the whole thing. Uh, We kind of already touched on it earlier. Colorado and Vegas are really the the two teams that people seem to think are most primed to win. Um, and, And I guess the Central Division is pretty stacked at the top. Um, who do you like in this series, Corey? Uh, we'll try to keep it pretty brief, but let us know. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think Carolina is going to win this series, but I do think it's going to be a little closer than people think, just because that, like, they've finally kind of turned and expect they've finally kind of turned like being the analytics, being an analytics darling, leading the league in expected goals every year. They finally kind of turned that into results, but. A lot of it is because they've been like superhuman on the power play this year. Like in terms of five on five goal scoring, they're about middle of the pack. Like they're still good, but they're not like 
great where you expect them to be. Like, they're actually kind of underperforming a little bit there. But their power play has been just unstoppable this year. They score quick. They have a lot of different options. And I, if Nashville gets into any sort of penalty trouble, they're absolutely screwed. <laughs> but Saros has been playing out of his mind, like, for the last two months. I do wonder how long that's going to continue, just because... A lot of times you see teams go on these, you see a team that's not very good go on like a hot streak thanks to a goalie playing out of its mind and eventually they kind of run out of gas. And Carolina's gotten to Saros this year. They put up four on him in mid-April. And I don't, I mean, Nashville is healthier than they were early in the season. They're a better team than they've shown, I think. But I think Carolina's good enough to kind of get around their defensemen, get one-on-one looks at Saros and the whole special teams factor, I think, puts them over the top. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Um, do you All right, give, it, give us the give us the games then for Carolina. We'll we'll, we'll do it that way. The games? Yeah, how many Carolina in four, five, six, or seven? I say Nashville takes one, so five. All right, okay. All right, Greg. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'll defer to Corey here. He knows a lot more about the the Carolina Hurricanes than I do. Uh, I I question the uh, the National Predators like scoring depth. I think that they're gonna. I think they're gonna struggle. I think to score, and I think it's gonna be sorrows that would need to win them a few games. And I always get nervous in the playoffs about trying to pick who the hot goalie is because. Whoever the hot goalie is is kind of unpredictable from game to game just because that's kind of the way hockey works sometimes. So I I just I think that Carolina has a little too much depth here for this to be a super competitive series. But I'll maybe say I think Nashville could steal a couple of games at home. So I'll say Carolina in six. Uh, I got Carolina in five. Um, Florida, Tampa Bay. I think that's a bit more of an interesting series to me. Uh, Nashville kind of I feel like limps in. Florida and Tampa are clearly just two overall solid teams. Tampa coming off of uh, the Stanley Cup win last year. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, having a $100 million hockey team healthy and ready to roll with Kucherov and Stamkos coming back. Corey, um, I mean, as great a season as Florida has had, do they have a shot against Tampa Bay? I think they definitely have a shot, and I've been – talking myself into picking them the past week just because I really I just really like watching them how they play they're really good at generating looks off the rush the new guys they brought in have fit in like a glove Sam Bennett uh, Nikita Gusev and they're just really good at just getting complimentary pieces for their two star players and just letting them kind of read off each other and Tampa Bay has just kind of been on autopilot this year to me so, like, there's a lot of reasons, like, that I'm kind of talking myself into thinking that Florida's going to take this. But, like, I don't know how real flipping a switch is. Like, like Tampa didn't have a bad season. They had, like, it wasn't great by their standards. Like, I, t- I expected them to, like, run away with this division. But, like, Hedman didn't have a great season despite his point total. And they Sorelli didn't have a great season either but they're getting Kucherov back. They're getting Stamkos back. And they just, they're a very, very tough team to defend when they're on their game, just because like, this is something I talked about a little bit in uh, my McKean's post, but they create a lot of, like they score a lot of goals and create chances off plays that are basically perimeter looks just from how well they use motion high in the zone, getting forwards to get out of, 
just kind of skating forwards out of their normal spots and getting looks that are high high in the slot with screens, a lot of movement, a lot of rebounds. And it's just very tough to defend, especially when you're Florida and you don't have Aaron Eckblad. You got Gustav Forsling playing top two minutes, and he's been good, but how is he going to hold off in the playoff series, especially against, like, Braden Points and Kucherov? So, like, I'm just going to go with the incumbent here, but I'm going to say it's going to take seven games. Okay, I like it. That's a good pick. Um, I think I'm going to go with Tampa as well in seven. Greg, give it to us. Give it to us quick. As, as the as the resident Florida Panthers fan here, uh, someone who would go to a lot of their games, I, I I actually I think Florida has a legit shot, and I'll pick them in seven to be a little bold here. Uh, I I really like what they did with the second line. With I mean, it seems like anyone they play with Huberdo has just been great this year, and Bennett has fit in like a glove there, as we said. Uh, you know, I I think that they're they have more offensive depth, I think, than people think that they do, and. I, you know, like, weirdly, this has been, like, the breakout year for Mackenzie Weger, which I think we all expected going to the year, of course. Uh, but I, you know, I think for me, the big question, honestly, is if Bobrovsky struggles, which I think he could, uh, do they do they go to Drager early on? And I think he's been, or Spencer Knight, and, you know, I think that they are in a good position from that standpoint. So, I don't know. I think, like, sometimes with these teams that just win the Cup, they can kind of struggle to ramp it up all year, and then they don't always flip the switch. And I think I, th- I think we all kind of would admit that this series means a lot more to uh, the Panthers than the Lightning. So, I don't know. I think a jacked-up Florida maybe takes this in seven. All right, cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the division with the two uh, real favorites here. Let's talk a little bit about first Colorado St. Louis. I love watching the Avalanche play, and it's not just because they have Philip Grubauer and Andre Burakovsky, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Um, Corey, I mean, they come in as the prohibitive favorites against St. Louis. Um, I mean, what are you thinking here? Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be a quick one. Although St. Louis did play them pretty well in their last in their last meeting, last couple of meetings, I think. It's just Colorado has been resting guys a lot. They've had a lot of injuries this year. So it really just depends how they get out of this series on Scaife. It's just St. Louis does not – St. Louis can't play defense is the problem. <laughs> like, they're going to have to basically go blow for blow with the Avs. And, like, they've – I've actually kind of liked the Blues this year. Like, when they're healthy, they have a lot of really good, interesting young players like Cairo and Robert Thomas. Tarasenko has been pretty good since coming back. But, like, Colorado, like, they're too fast, they're too skilled, and Grubauer's back for them. And so I I think it's going to be a quick series, five games, I say. Okay. Yeah, I've got, I think it's going to be four or five. I actually think, um, just to be bold, I'll, I'll, I'll call it a sweep. Um I will I will call it a sweep too. I think that uh, there's just too much depth, too much quickness. The Avalanche blue line is kind of one of the more incredible things that they were able to create such a collection of talent in the salary cap era with what they're doing. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's hard to it's hard to really argue. There's just too much speed there. And uh, I mean, I was watching them yesterday when like they spotted a goal to the Kings, and then you know you look and like oh yeah, they've outshot them like. 20 to four or something like that. That's just like what they could do to teams. They can just overwhelm them. And uh, I, I I'm with you on the blues. I actually, I, you know, I, I think that that's a tougher matchup, but I just, there's, there's just too much speed for the avalanche. I think they're going to win it in sweet. 
Yeah, I think Colorado. This is Colorado's time, right? Uh, kind of like Tampa. Um, I, I just feel like Colorado's due for a for a playoff breakout. Uh, they kind of had one last year, and but I think their chance. Uh, Vegas, Minnesota. This is an interesting one because Vegas has been dominant all year, but they've really struggled against Minnesota. Uh, Corey, why has Vegas struggled against them? It's honestly weird. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> watching the games is even weirder. But I mean. Minnesota's had a few guys come out of nowhere just having great seasons. Like, obviously Kaprizov, but I've really liked watching Fiala this year. Erickson X had a really – he's had a really good season. He's, like – he's such an interesting player to kind of watch and just see how he impacts the game. Just, like, he's he's always been a good defensive player, but, like, basically all of his shots are rebounds or looks where he's wide open in the slot. And I don't know how he keeps getting them, especially against Vegas. But – that line is just giving the Knights a lot of trouble, but and but I don't I don't know. Vegas has had to do a lot of weird things with their lineup this year because of salary cap reasons. Like they've played they've played ten forwards some games. They've played they've rotated they've rotated one of their like third pair defensemen as a forward and a defenseman mid game. And now that's the playoffs. There's no salary cap. I think we're going to see a more traditional lineup from them. And they just—I mean—they just have the better roster, like by far. And I—and I trust Mark Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard more than Capo Kakinen and Cam Talbot. So, <laughs> but yeah, the the whole thing about them just being historically bad against Minnesota is something I cannot figure out. And I don't think it's going to carry over into the postseason just because we've seen matchups before where one team has the other team's number and it doesn't carry over in the playoffs. So. Vegas and six, I say. Yeah, we've definitely seen it before. I believe in 08-09, the Capitals dominated the Penguins in the regular season and then, of course, lost them in the playoffs. Um, let's move on to... In my wait, wait, mind, wait, I got to give my pick, but I'll, I'll give it... In, I, I think Vegas has a little... I, I'm with you at, at bottom of the roster and everything like that. I Fiala's been very good, but... Uh, and uh, Eric Sinek has been kind of a stealthy, uh, selkie pick, but... I just I I like I like um, Vegas's depth. I like their goaltending a lot more. I think Stone's gonna have a huge series. Give me them in five. Actually, I'll be a little aggressive. Vegas seven. Okay, let's talk about the North. Uh, they suck. I, I don't think they're good. Um, <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Adam. I, I think quality of competition is uh, not a useful stat this season because you only play the same teams, um, and you know it's a shortened season as well. But uh, besides the point, uh, enough about that. Um, the only team that I, well, I, I think the top two teams in that division are interesting to watch. Uh, Toronto, because they do have a lot of skill, and Edmonton, because they have the best player in the world. Um, let's talk a little bit about Toronto and Montreal. Actually, real fast, let's just say, Greg, in our preseason podcast, we talked about how bad this division was, despite the fact that, um, you know, national media at the time was talking about how good the division was going to be and now montreal was going to be dominant montreal ended up not being dominant at all finishes with the fourth seed limps their way into the playoffs and they are who we thought they were oh who i thought they were i don't remember if you were a bit higher on them but i I think i was but yeah you were you were not so sorry i just wanted if any of our listeners were keeping score at home montreal still sucks um Corey, Toronto-Montreal, I have this as a pretty short series. I mean, Toronto, you know, they haven't won a first-round series in such a long time that the NHL made up this crazy division for them where 
It should be a slam dunk. Do they finally get it done? I mean, if logic prevails, yes. I just, I don't really know what the Habs are good at. Like, being <laughs> bluntly as possible, it's like, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I'm supposed to still respect Carey Price. They're, I mean, they're not a bad team, but I just, what exactly is great about about the Canadians? I I've watched so many of their games, like just kind of get just to kind of get a read on them, and it's like Suzuki is a promising young player, Kakaniemi is too, but it's like, why am I supposed to be scared of this team at all? I just yeah. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Toronto's kind of tinkering with how they play a little bit. I'm just wondering if they're going to get in their own heads because. That's a really skilled team, but they it seems like for the playoffs, they stacked up on a lot of guys who play more of keep-away hockey, so I'm thinking we're going to see a lot of games where they kind of pack it in, don't try to create a lot of offense, focus more on controlling the game, sort of like how Washington plays when they have a lead instead of trying to go run and gun all the time. So yeah. if they get a lead, uh, if they get a lead in any of these games, they're absolutely going to win. <laughs> Probably in four, but I'm going to say it stretches to seven because the Leafs can never make things easy. Wow, going to seven. All right. This It's just how it goes. Like, when has ever, anything ever come to came easy for the Leafs? They're going to make the – they should – like, it should be a cakewalk, but they're going to make this as torturous as possible. <laughs> if, if, they, if it goes seven, I bet, like, the something weird is in the water and, like, this is where, like – the stupid Montreal magic that gives the triggers all Caps fans, me included, beyond belief, comes in there. But I, I give me give me the Leafs in four. I think that there's, I think this is, this might be the playoffs. Austin Matthews. I know that there is a debate about is he the best player in the league or is he not. But I don't think uh, Montreal has anyone in the same planet that can contain him. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that they've been a little weird this year and. I, I kind of wish they would just run the horses because I think they would kind of blow everyone out of the water in, in that division if they did. But I, you know, I think that they, I just, you know, I don't, I don't trust Montreal and Carey Price hasn't been a good, been a good goalie for the last four years. So give me, give me, give me, uh, give me, uh, I'll give, I'll give uh, the Leafs in a gentleman's sweep. How about that? Leafs in five. All right, that works for me. Uh, I have the least in five as well. Uh, if it goes to seven, I think Montreal wins because, um, I, I don't know, at some point the ghosts of playoffs past will come to uh, – it will get in the players' head a little, heads a little bit. I mean, it, it used to for Washington uh, players for sure, I think. Um, you know, just there's a reason that John Walton said the Demons will be exercised. And, uh, it, I mean, there isn't a worse team in the world – at holding a lead in game seven than this version of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, um, but you know, uh, I, I hope for some of their fans that they, they get it done. They deserve that. Even if their, their estimate of their team is severely overblown based upon their division. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's fine. Tor- Toronto would do, Toronto's more exciting to watch than Washington, okay? I, I, I want the that. record to show that Adam is the one stretching out this podcast now, not me. How long was our was our break, Greg? Okay, okay. So, <laughs> Ouch. Uh, well, the viewers, <laughs> the listeners aren't going to know that. You know, this is called editing. All right, Edmonton, Winnipeg. <laughs> Edmonton comes in with the best player in the world. Corey, you watch the greatest player in the world more closely than anybody else. Can anybody stop him? 
Nobody on the Jets can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe Connor Hellebuck, because I, I think he is the best goalie in the league right now. But it's the Jets have like stealthily been one of the worst defensive teams like in the league the really the past few years and I don't know how they always kind of make their way to the top of the standings they outscore their problems to a point but and I mean Edmonton's depth isn't great either but Winnipeg I just I I just don't really like this team that much they I, like Dubois hasn't really made much of a difference there. They don't, they don't really know where to play him. I think Ehlers is kind of banged up right now. And I think he's probably going to be their X factor in this series. Unless Edmonton's penalty kill totally craps the bed, which they might. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I got to go with the Oilers, but I'm going to say Oilers in six. Yeah, I, I think the Oilers get it done. Greg, uh, do you, are you trying to meet the Jets or, or what do you got? No, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I just think that they're going to, I mean, I, I will say, I think the, the consequences of the Oilers playing McDavid and Dreisaitl like 25 minutes a night or whatever, will catch up to them against the Leafs potentially, but uh, I don't think it's going to catch up to them in the first round. And uh, I just think they're going to kind of overwhelm whatever the Jets are going to put up there. So uh, yeah, give me, give me Edmonton and I'll actually be a little aggressive and say them in five. Yeah, the Jets, like they're, they're kind of mirror images. They're mirror images of each other, except the Oilers have Connor McDavid. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> then again, then again, the Oilers do not have Connor Hellebuck, so that so take that for what you will, I guess. Yeah, and I don't know. I do like. I mean, I like some of the. I like some of the Jets forwards. It's just like they're never as good as the sum of their parts, you know. <laughs> Yeah, the the Jets are interesting because a few years ago they felt like they were a team on the rise that was really poised for something great. And uh, God, I, I don't. It must have been when they flamed out early in one of those years in the playoffs, and they just ever since then they they haven't looked the same. Might have been when Big Buff uh, retired. I guess it, it just has not been the same for that. Franchise. Yeah, well, they had that off season right where they lost Buff and Truba in the same yeah. off season. They, that's that really decimated their blue line. They had a cup window of precisely one year. Because they waited forever to start That was a – they lost in Vegas in five that year. I remember that. That was like – I think a lot of people had uh, – the, they had the Jets because that was the like the rise of Line A. You know, Ehlers yeah. was really good and everything like that. And then it, uh, it just kind of fell apart very quickly. I don't – like I feel like Maurice, like early some of the coaching staff, they got to figure this out because – they have Shifley, Dubois, Lowry down the middle, and like, and Stastny too. Yeah. Although, he, but like, how do you turn a lineup with that center depth into like a bottom five expected goals team? Like, they're like, I mean, in a perfect world, I would pick the, like if they were playing up to their potential, I would definitely pick the Jets because that's center depth that the Oilers just don't have. But they don't play. They don't ever play to that level. They're always. They're always in their own zone. They don't really create any chances except off the rush. And they rely on breaks here and there to win games. And, like, yeah, the Oilers do that too, but the Oilers have, like, the best player in the league at doing that. Yes. Yes, and I mean, I think, I think we could all say, like, I you could totally see the the Jets winning the series in the oh. sense of, I mean, anytime a team is goaltended by Mike Smith, you're kind of yeah, risking, that, like, but... everything going wrong at the same time. But, uh, you know, I, I think it holds together at least for one round. 
Yeah, I I don't want to put my trust in Mike Smith over Connor Hellebuck, but I'm also just, I I just have hated watching the Jets this year, I'm going to put it bluntly. God. And I mean, that would, I, we, we say all this, right? And we're totally going to get a second round matchup of the, of the Habs and the Jets. And it's just going to be unwatchable. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll see. I Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. Did you know that Olaf Kolzig follows you on Twitter? Sure, me? Yeah. He still does? Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't really tweet that much, so... <laughs> Yeah, but that's kind of interesting. Because I, I was making sure, Corey, that you know, shut down like you weren't changing your, your, your Twitter handle on us or anything. Uh, Corey, I, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I know you got a lot going on, and we had to kind of reschedule you a little bit this week. So thanks for your flexibility. Um, you know, all, obviously you're, you're now writing in, in multiple places. So why don't you tell our listeners you know, where they can find your work and, and support you? Are we going to talk Penn's Islanders? Oh, no. Frick, we never talked about it. No, no, we're not. no, just kidding. You can talk about Penn's Islanders, I guess. Oh, my goodness. We totally uh, forgot. <laughs> did we forget, though? Or are the Islanders just super forgettable? I mean, the past, the past two months of the season they are. But the gist of that is, is are they going to be the team, like, I know they can be when they play well? Or are they going to be the team that has shown up that has shown up the past, like, two months? So that's really what that comes down to. So, Corey, before I guess before I rudely cut you off from finishing your Penn's Islanders, who, who do you have been winning in this series? I, I have Pittsburgh in five games. Uh, I mean, I I respect Trotz. Like, I, I respect Trotz, and he can turn any series into kind of like a bunch of 1-1-2-2 games, and they have Barzal who can kind of like break, break the Pittsburgh structure a little bit. But... I mean, it's been two months of them being really bad ever since really, really ever since Anders Lee went down. So yeah. I, I just don't see it happening this year, which it's a shame because that team was really good, like through March, but the roof is just kind of caved in. Yeah, they're, they are a, perhaps aren't the funnest team to watch anymore. The most fun team. So I guess I shouldn't really throw stone. Um, and Pittsburgh still has that elite talent up front. Greg, who do you have? Yeah, I mean, I I will admit, I don't love the Penguins roster, and it kind of feels at times like a bit of an island of misfit toys, but uh, Sullivan has that group playing really well, and uh, I, obviously anytime you have Malkin and Crosby on there, you know, you figure even if the Isles are able to muck it up and play super boring hockey, you know, that the Pens should be able to find a goal or two. Um, so... Then again, though, I mean, I don't like betting against Barry Trotz in a, in a playoff series. I mean, he kind of has this, this ability to muck things up. Obviously, the last time they played in the playoffs what didn't go great for the Penguins. I don't really put much stock into that, frankly. So I guess give me the Penguins in seven. But actually, I think this is going to be a pretty close series. Yeah, I, I, I got the Penguins in six. I do think they're the better team. Uh, sorry for kind of forgetting about that series to all of our listeners. It, Thank you to Corey for, for bailing yeah, us out. thanks, Corey. I'm, <laughs> I, I just remember at the last minute. <laughs> yeah, I, I just did not uh, think about them. But, Corey, uh, you're now writing for McKean's Hockey. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so I'm writing a column or two every couple of weeks there. It's a subscription, so if you like my writing, you can get a subscription there. A few other writers are there, too. Shana Goldman from The Athletic writes there now. Scott Cullen does a fantasy article every week. Gus Katsaros, uh, old Maple Leafs blogger, still writing there. But a lot of great prospect stuff there. So if you're into like the draft and prospects, like McKean's is definitely a must-subscribe. And you get to read me rambling about random intricacies in the game or whatever is on my mind every couple of weeks. Yeah, I uh, I think I used to buy their draft yearbook every year. Back when I was, you know, spending a lot more attention on the draft on the Capitals, I actually used to have a draft choice at a, you know, time where it would make an impact. So they, they've, I've always enjoyed their stuff over the years. Um, Corey, your Twitter is still shut down line. Obviously why I saw Olaf Kolzig follows you on there still. <laughs> Um, Greg is, you know, Greg, I'm just gonna let you go for it. Yeah. Well, and also Corey, uh, you have a Patreon, right? That, uh, that, cause I know Japer's rank, we're, we're, we're proud supporters of that. So, uh, yeah. you know, people, people should subscribe to that as well. I, I know that your stuff is, uh, you widely used too. I know that Dom, a lot of his, uh, his stuff was citing your work. So that was, that was cool to see too. So, uh, yeah, people I- should do that. Yeah, I think I owe at least like 10 subscriptions to him from just posting them on The Athletic. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I have a Patreon. I track as many games as I can and just to deliver cool stats that aren't available by the league. And uh, a lot of them I post on Tableau. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of really neat organized stuff there and some stuff that's very jumbled and disorganized over on the rough draft section. So... If you're a hockey nerd, you can spend a few hours on that, get lost in it, and find some cool things about how teams in the league play. <laughs> so uh, you can find that on you can find that all on my Twitter. I just set up a link tree there, so everything that I do is in a little nice uh, link, and uh, you can go find that on my Twitter. <laughs> yeah, no, Corey's Twitter is the place to go, and then feed in everything else um, if you guys are. Or interest, which you should be, because Corey's come on a bunch of times and is a good friend of the show. Yes, um, 100%. Do, do, do you want me to plug stuff out? I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it under a minute, I promise. Go for it, Greg. All right, okay. You can find uh, me at, at GregY underscore JR. Uh, you can find my writing at Japers Rink. Um, I actually have been writing a little bit this week. It's been exciting. And uh, I'll probably do some playoff coverage stuff, too. Uh and uh, I know for Japers Rig, Adam, we're probably going to go to a game. We haven't discussed this a ton, so maybe I shouldn't do this on air, but whatever. I, I know that we're going to at least do – we're going to do a decent amount of playoff coverage here. Yes, that, 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 that sounds about right to me. So um, on behalf of the three of us, thanks to all of our listeners that uh, stuck with us there. Sorry for the little scatterbrained at the end. That's on me. Um, and we hope to have you guys back on board soon. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking about how the Caps have surprised us coming out of the gate. 